Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at the teams that made it to the finals of the 2022 African Nations Championship. Nigeria missed out while Madagascar qualified for the first time. We assess the controversy around Zambia women's star Barbara Banda, who was excluded from the recent Women's Africa Cup of Nations finals after failing gender eligibility tests, but is playing at the ongoing Kasafa Women's Championship in South Africa. I'm not seeing it uh, to anyone to let me go down with what I love doing mostly. I'll still keep on pushing and pushing. More on that shortly. Also, we catch up on some of the standout transfers of African players across Europe. But first, the CAF inter-club season starts this weekend with the preliminary rounds of both the CAF Champions League and the Confederation Cup. Moroccan clubs hold both titles. That's Widad Casablanca of Morocco, the defending champions in the Champions League, and RS Bacan of Morocco are the holders in the Confederation Cup. There are plenty of big teams there in the preliminary round of the Champions League. They include Asante Kotoko of Ghana and Tanzania's Simba and Yanga. Other top teams get a bye through to the next round. Well, qualifying for the 2022 African Nations Championship has been completed. The finals are on in Algeria next January and February. This is the tournament for home-based players only, and Madagascar have qualified for the first time. Ghana beat Nigeria on penalties, Angola beat South Africa in the final qualifying round. South Africa have a very poor record in qualifying. Morocco, Cameroon, DR Congo, Ivory Coast and Senegal all made it. And Ida, that's more disappointment for Nigeria fans. Right, Steve. Nigeria have only reached the Chan finals three times. And there's definitely a sense that the country doesn't take the tournament too seriously. And look, this is across the board. I mean, you see many countries building below par teams for qualification. On one hand, maybe to give practice to the younger players as well. But in the case that a country doesn't qualify, then it's not the biggest deal. South Africa, for example, has failed to qualify since the 2014 edition, Steve. And the catch with that was that they were hosts. So their participation was automatic. And they still didn't get past the group stage. I mean, can you imagine what the reaction would be if that happened with, say, the Afghan. And you also saw the likes of Egypt and Tunisia withdrawing from this qualification round. So this says a lot, and some of the powerhouses do genuinely view this tournament as an inconvenience. And some don't, you know, the likes of current holders Morocco, the likes of Cameroon, DR Congo, Ivory Coast, the likes of Senegal, will all be competing in their seventh Chan. It will be a sixth one for Uganda. And you know what, Steve? All in all, I do believe that this can be a good platform, you know, to develop local talent if taken seriously. But yes, going back to Nigeria's loss to Ghana, well, Ghana back in the Chan after missing the last three editions, They last featured in 2014, where they finished as runners-up. Now, 
it should be some form of consolation for Ghana, I would think at least. I mean, this is after their ladies missed out on the Wafkin entirely. They didn't qualify. The men's national team exited with one point at the group stage of the Afghan. And Steve, the fact that the win happened at the same venue where they pipped Nigeria for a World Cup ticket in March, I'm thinking all the sweeter for them. And the 2022 African Nations Championship taking place in 2023 at the start of the year, next January and February. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the Kasafa Women's Championship in South Africa. This is the Southern African Championship, and one notable story there is the return of Zambia striker Barbara Banda. Now, Banda was excluded from the recent Women's Africa Cup of Nations finals after failing gender eligibility tests. But Kasafa have allowed her to take part in the tournament where she's been banging in the goals. Here's Banda after scoring five times against Lesotho. Yeah, it's so amazing. I've been through, but I think uh, I'm always determined and uh, I always do what I love most. So I think... uh, I'm not saying it uh, to anyone to let me go down with what I love doing mostly. I'll still keep on pushing and pushing and uh, to score as many goals as I can whenever I have the chance and the opportunity, I have to utilize it. Well, this is a really puzzling story, Ida. We don't know exactly why Barbara Bander wasn't allowed to play at the recent WAFCON and CAF don't seem to have enforced that decision for the Kasafa Championship. Well, Steve, looking at the Banda-Wafcon situation. Now, the reason given for her exclusion was very vague, at least to me. It's what they termed as, quote-unquote, medical reasons. But later on, it did emerge that Banda and three other players were omitted from the final squad, and that was after their testosterone levels proved to be higher than CAF's set criteria. Consequently, Hormone suppression was suggested, but it's said that the effects of that on the body are so negative, Steve, so the players declined, and understandably so. So I do think that it is important to understand just why and how gender testing started, at least within CAF and Auken, or now referred to as the Wafken. It was after the 2008 Auckland in Equatorial Guinea, and that was when the host country won amid claims that they fielded men in their squad. So CAF introduced the gender testing three years later. What's interesting, Steve, is that this isn't the first time that it's happening with Banda. It was a similar case at the last Wafkan as well, where she made it to the initial squad only to be cut off at the final hurdle. And I do genuinely feel for her. Another interesting point is that Banda's hyperandrogeny, and uh, that's the condition that sees women produce, quote unquote, abnormal levels of testosterone, if you will. Well, this wasn't a problem with the International Olympic Committee as Banda took part in the Tokyo Summer Olympics. Remember that? Where she absolutely dazzled back-to-back hat-tricks. And she's also competed in the Under-17 World Cup. So this move from CAF is definitely puzzling. Seeing as Kosafa is still under the continental body, you know, so one would assume that if she wasn't allowed to play at the Wafgen, then it would be the same for Kosafa. Steve, the issue of gender eligibility, well, it's still a very novel aspect in sport. It's very nuanced with so many perspectives and it's very emotive. 
there are allegations that it definitely tends to affect one demographic more than the other. And we've seen its implications in athletics, for example, with uh, the likes of Casta Semenya and so many other players and athletes of color being sidelined. Yes, intriguing story, that one. Thanks, Ida. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to European football. And we've spoken a lot about transfer moves in the English Premier League. But let's catch up on some standout moves in the rest of Europe. I'm joined by African football expert Solis Chukwu in Lagos in Nigeria. Uh, Solis, which are the most notable transfers of African players in Europe? Yeah, this summer transfer window has seen a lot of movement of African superstars in mainland Europe. Um, a few of these have caught my eye more than others, I would say. One of those that has flown under the radar a little bit has been Frank Kessier's move from AC Milan to Barcelona. Now, um, the Ivorian was part of AC Milan's successful um, Scudetto challenge last season. He helped them to their first title in you know, over a decade. Um, but now he's joined Xavi's revolution at Barcelona. Now, Barcelona have a lot of, you know, neat, creative, slick central midfielders. But what they really needed was someone with intensity and physicality to play in the central zone. And they've addressed that need by bringing in Kessier from AC Milan. It's remarkable that they've gotten a the player of that quality for free. But I think that's a tremendous pickup for them. And he's already hit the ground running. Um, since his move to Catalonia. Sticking in Spain, of course, Omar Sadiq, Nigerian striker, has made the move from newly promoted Almeria to Real Sociedad. Now, this move is one that has been, that was a long time coming because um, Sadiq impressed a lot in the second division. His goals were what propelled Almeria to promotion and it was long accepted that um, this season, he had gotten too big for Maria. He needed to move. There was a lot of interest from Villarreal. There was interest from Getafe. There was interest from Sevilla. But ultimately, he's moved to Real Sociedad. Now, um, Sociedad, of course, made um, a huge, huge amount of money selling Alexander Isak to Premier League side Newcastle. So, ostensibly, Sadiq is his replacement. Um, whether or not he will live up to, to what Isak did, at Real Sociedad remains to be seen, but um, Sadiq already has made a good impression. He scored on his debut against Atletico Madrid, powering him ahead at the back post. That's what Real Sociedad fans can expect from Omar Sadiq. Um, Nusa Masrawi and Sadio Mane have gone to Bayern Munich, who have really, you know, taken their squad building to another level. Um, those are two fantastic players. Mane is a winner from many, many years at Liverpool, winning everything on offer in English football and in Europe. And he's gone over to um, Bayern Munich to boost the attacking options. Um, they've been crying out for a right back for so long. Masrawi, the Moroccan, is a brilliant addition. He's tailor-made for the way they want to play. He's an attacking, um, creative right back who will give them, I think, another another edge going forward in attack. Um, Calvin Bassi moving to Ajax from Rangers. Bassi was one of the real breakout stars of Rangers' Europa League run last season to the final. Obviously, they didn't win it, losing to Antwerp Frankfurt on penalties, but Calvin Bassi seriously impressed. And on the back of that, he's gotten the move to Ajax, um, who are playing in the Champions League. And um, I think that's just fantastic for the young man. He's a very versatile player, can play at left-back or at centre-back. 
But at Ajax, it's expected he would, you know, he mostly play as a centre back because that's what he was recruited as. He was he basically came in to replace central defender they sold to Manchester United. So um, that's an exciting transfer as far as I'm concerned. Um, these these are just a couple really. There there are so many we could spend hours and hours talking about them, Steve. Well, great, and we'll see how they do get on this season at their new clubs. And Solis, can you pick out a few African players around Europe who you think could be set for a great season? Yeah, sure. Um, Atalanta have made a very smart pick-up getting Ademola Lukman on loan from RB Leipzig. Now, Lukman has been something of um, a nomad in terms of his club career, but coming into an Atalanta side coached by um, Gianpiero Gasperini, who is a great attacking manager and excellent at bringing through youth. I kind of get the sense that Demola Lukman will find himself, find his true position and find a system that really, really suits him and plays to his strengths. And that could see him explode and become, um, you know, take another big step toward the level that, you know, everyone knows he's capable of. Um, Kaldo Guekambi at Lyon is one, I think, He's one of these players who kind of has, he has quietly good seasons in a way. You know, you can always count on him to be in among the goals. Um, but, you know, he's not flashy, so he doesn't get a lot of headlines. Um, but so far this season already, you can see he started really well for Leon. Leon, uh, flying high, they brought back Alexander Lacazette, as we know from Arsenal, and they are looking a very solid proposition in attack. To get Canby, of course, will pitching with goals and pitching with assists. And I think with Leon looking a little more cohesive on the pitch, this could be to his advantage, absolutely. Um, Cremonese have an interesting thing going. They have two Nigerian strikers leading the line for them. Um, David Okereke and Cyril Dessas. And they've also brought in Felix Afenagian on loan from Roma. So that's an all-African front line, really, for Cremonese. Very ambitious project there. You know, it will be interesting to see if they are able to preserve their top flight status. Obviously, they just came up this season. So, um, Dessa's top scored in the Europa Conference League last season. So, he's a real steal for them. Um, when you ally that to Okirike, who is a very skillful striker, who scores great goals. Um, not, not a very, doesn't score high volumes, but when he scores, they do tend to be very eye-catching. And Afenajian, who is a very exciting, very quick, very aggressive striker. I think that's just something worth keeping an eye on. Should be very interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, finally, I would say Terry Murphy at Lorient. Now, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I think that Terry Murphy will not play at Lorient by the end of this season. I think this season is going to be his last at Lorient. Um, he had a, he had an explosive breakout season two seasons ago at Lorient and last season he sort of his production kind of dipped a little bit as Lorient struggled to find themselves tactically. Um, they struggled for goals, struggled for cohesion, but now they seem to be doing a lot better. And Murphy has started the season like a house on fire, already five goals in Liga. Um, and you look at him, you see a player who's bringing with confidence and who is a consummate finisher. I'm, I'm almost certain that this year we'll see him take a major step. And by the end of this, Lorient will be very hard pressed to hold on to the Nigerian striker. All sounds very appetising. Many thanks there to African football expert Solis Chukwu in Lagos. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League as Chelsea sack Thomas Tuchel and as Manchester United get their best win of the season. 
Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked her, were Bournemouth wise to fire Scott Parker? Uh, Parker became the first manager to lose his job this season in the English Premier League after just four games. Uh, the 9-0 loss to Liverpool equaled the record for the biggest Premier League defeat and left newly promoted Bournemouth with one win and three defeats. So we asked, did Bournemouth do the right thing to fire Parker? And we start here in Zimbabwe where Arthur says it lacked any bit of logic. He definitely wasn't sacked for the results. They had a brilliant start and were playing way above their level. He was fired because he hurt the owner's feelings when he talked about their poor investment plan and having to go on a suicide season competing with championship-level players. It's embarrassing club management, almost as bad as Manchester United, says Arthur. Uh, Luke in Kenya says it's a bad idea, and Ugi Philip in Nigeria says, in my opinion, he didn't deserve to be sacked. Any manager at that level with such a team will perform poorly. Uh, besides, the club made no big signings, so sacking him is very unfair. At least he won one game, but the rest were too tough for the team. Uh, Tinkler M. Conte in Ghana says, I don't think the decision is good because it came too early. Let's take the example from last season of Mikel Arteta, who lost his first three games. And uh, yes, a good point there, Tinkler, as Arsenal overcame that bad start last season. And then to the Gambia, and Belong Baji says, I think losing a few matches should not have triggered the sudden sacking of Scott Parker. Uh, I think he's there to deliver, but it can't be immediately, says Belong. Uh, Kwambai Collins is in Kenya. Kwambai says, in my opinion, it's not right. Uh, the biggest loss uh, in English Premier League history doesn't determine your position at the end of the season. Remember, Liverpool were beaten 7-1 by Aston Villa, but that was not the end of Klopp's reign at Liverpool. And then John O. Enenche in Nigeria says, a big defeat doesn't mean big failure. It only proves that much work is needed. Uh, so most people felt it was unfair to fire Parker, but uh, others had a different opinion. In Botswana, Kialo Boga Cabello says uh, he did deserve it because he didn't believe in his players. You could even see that on his face. And uh, Chukwu in Ghana says, yes, it was the right decision. Losing 9-0 is too much. And Austin Chidiabere in Nigeria says, yeah, that goal margin was too much. And then also in Nigeria, MC Jazz said, I heard he underrated his players, saying that they are not Premier League material. And yes, that probably was one of the key reasons, because in a post-match interview, uh, Parker said that uh, they are under-equipped at this level. Uh, Felix Muzengi says he will fetch another small team from the Championship now and bring them up to the Premier League. Remember, Scott Parker also got to Fulham promoted. And then finally, Ebrain Debos in Nigeria says uh, the team started performing wonders after his sack. Uh, yes, uh, Bournemouth getting four points in two games uh, with an amazing comeback win to beat Nottingham Forest at 3-2 last weekend. Uh, I guess that shows uh, what a funny game of football is. Well, thanks so much to everyone who got in touch. Apologies if we didn't get to read out your comment. Uh, this week we're asking, what's your favourite English Premier League transfer in this window? Uh, the window now closed with record spending and with lots of exciting players joining English Premier League clubs. So what's your favourite player among those transfers, uh, the one that you're most excited about? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five. Five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What's your favourite English Premier League transfer in this window?
We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. And it's been an eventful week. A crisis at Liverpool as they lost 4-1 to Napoli in their opening game in the Champions League. This week's big story, Chelsea firing manager Thomas Tuchel on the new owner's 100th day in charge and Brighton manager Graham Potter taking over. Now, the Champions League loss to Dinamo Zagreb was their third defeat of the season, uh, but Tuchel had won the Champions League with Chelsea last year. So did you see this one coming, Stuart? Absolutely not. I mean, you could say that Tuchel has struggled a bit in England, but he's only been at Chelsea for 20 months, and as you say, during that time, Chelsea won the Champions League. They've been in two FA Cup finals, one League Cup final, Okay, losing all three. They're currently sixth in the Premier League, but they have lost three of their last five games in the league to Leeds United and Southampton and that Champions League game in Zagreb. But what I find utterly astonishing is that the club owners allowed him to spend $240 million in the transfer window and then fire him. Yeah, there was a big decision for Chelsea. We'll see now how uh, Graham Potter does uh, at the Blues. And uh, Manchester United fans are having a mixed fortunes uh, over the past few days, uh, kicking off their Europa League campaign with a home defeat to Real Sociedad on Thursday. Uh, but a fabulous uh, 3-1 went over Arsenal last weekend. Uh, a great game that was, uh, Stuart. Uh, what a result for Manchester United. Well, Arsenal are still top of the Premier League, but that 3-1 defeat at Manchester United dramatically changes things. And incredibly, after losing the first two games of the season, with Liverpool and Manchester City drawing last weekend, Manchester United now find themselves fifth ahead of Liverpool, just two points behind Manchester City and three behind Arsenal. You know, what crisis? Arsenal will argue that they played the better football on Sunday, but they looked vulnerable to United's very effective pressing and counter-attacking game. And all Ten Hag's key signings look good. Martinez, uh, Malassia, Eriksen and Anthony. But equally important, he has revived Marcus Rashford. All last season, Rashford looked out of sorts, scoring just four goals, losing his place in the England team. This season, in six games, he scored three and made two. And I mean, Anthony's goal on debut came from a perfectly weighted and perfectly directed pass from Rashford. And Rashford's two goals were both one-to-one against the goalkeeper, both dispatched with skill and power. Now, interestingly, again, Harry Maguire and Cristiano Ronaldo sat on the bench, getting 11 and 32 minutes respectively. But what I absolutely loved was seeing Ronaldo in the last minutes of the game remonstrating with Fernandes for not passing the ball to him quicker. Ronaldo is still quite competitive. Now, two observations on the Manchester United team selection. Casemiro, five-time Champions League winner, again started on the bench with McTominay preferred. And Van der Beek, whose manager knows him well, is still not getting any game time. Steve... United fans will remember that Rashford made his league debut for Manchester United against Arsenal in 2016, scoring two goals. Amazingly, he has not scored against Arsenal since. Not until Sunday. I read a fascinating stat about Manchester United players who have scored on debut. And since the Ferguson era, there have been nine of them. Rashford, Anthony, James Wilson, Anthony Martial, Josh Harrop, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Lukaku... 
Donny van der Beek and Dan James. But other than Rashford, not really any of them had a totally successful Manchester United career. Yes, we'll see if United can continue this momentum. And last weekend, the VAR was a major talking point with several debatable calls. Uh, What do you make of all this, Stuart? Well, sadly, VAR is back making the headlines uh, with strong allegations that it's intervening too much. And in fact, there was praise from Michael Oliver, who awarded a penalty to Nottingham Forest for handball, was asked to review it, did so, but stuck to his original decision. West Ham manager David Moyes was incandescent with rage when his team were denied a late equaliser against Chelsea for a foul by Jared Bowen on the Chelsea's Senegalese goalkeeper, Edward Mondi. In fact, David Moyes suggested that Monday was pretending to be injured, having dropped the ball, and former England striker, now pundit Alan Shearer, described it as the worst decision he had ever seen. And interestingly, the Premier League Referees Association later acknowledged that the decision to disallow the West Ham goal and also to disallow a Newcastle goal against Crystal Palace had been wrong VAR interventions. Very honest responses and very unusual admissions. But if West Ham or Newcastle finish one point short of qualifying for Europe at the end of the season, knowing that the Premier League referees are sorry won't help them a lot. Mikel Arteta was also annoyed that what would have been the first goal of that game against Manchester United was disallowed. And I tend to agree with him. I mean, I thought it was a foul, but not such a clear and obvious error that the on-field referee's decision should have been overturned. And then there was a strange one for Coutinho had the ball in the net for Aston Villa against Manchester City, but after the referee had blown for offside. And again, TV showed that no Villa player was offside, but too late by then. Now, I know, Steve, you'll be first in the queue here, but... Mike Dean, who uh, has just been appointed the Premier League head of refereeing, said that he expected within two or three seasons fans will be able to pay for VAR headsets so that they can listen to the conversation between the referee and the VAR official leading to decisions. Now, this is already the case in rugby in Britain, but of course in football, spectators only know that a VAR review is taking place, they don't know for what, and they don't know uh, what is being discussed. But that will change when fans are able to listen to that conversation. Yeah, the VAR continues to be a big, big talking point. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? The Ivorian Maxwell Corning can consider himself pretty unlucky in West Ham's game against Chelsea. First, he shot against the post, and then his equalising goal was wrongly disallowed by VAR. And poor old Richarlison had similar luck playing for Tottenham against Fulham, hitting the post and having a goal disallowed for offside. Now, there were five African goals last weekend. Uh, Visa and um, Bueno for Brentford, Ihenechu and Daka for Leicester City and Kuyati for Nottingham Forest. But only the Brentford players were on the winning side. And interestingly, this is the second week running that Johan Visa has come on for Brentford in the last 10 minutes and he's scored both times. The other three goals in the Brentford game, by the way, were scored by Ivan Tony 
who scored with a penalty, a direct free kick and one from open play. And apparently someone has worked out it's nine years since someone has scored a hat-trick with that combination. And if you're wondering, Steve, this is not the first time Brentford have scored five goals in a top division game. They did it in 1938. Erling Haaland has now scored 10 goals in six league games. And incredibly, this is the fourth season in a row that he has reached double figures of league goals before he has played seven games. Remarkable. Now, Steve, this is one for you. Jordan Zamora, Bournemouth and Zimbabwe, is the first Premier League player with a surname beginning with Z to play for a country beginning with Z. And then I need to finish with the cautionary tale of Conor Maseko. Playing for Blackfield and Langley in one of the preliminary rounds of the FA Cup, a Shepton player shot wide and goalkeeper Connor went to retrieve the ball to take the goal kick. Well, you know, it's a small ground and there were some bushes behind the goal and, well, he took the opportunity, shall we say, to relieve himself. The referee was not amused and produced a red card for the player. The game ended nil-nil, and we await the decision of the FA Disciplinary Committee. <laughs> right, well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.